Hi, I'm Rob Knight, the host of Your Itinerary for Travel and Photography. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. TWIP is brought to you by Panasonic Lumix Cameras, changing photography for the next generation. And Lynda.com. Learn what you want, when you want, with access to thousands of high-quality, easy-to-follow video tutorials, including many about photography. Do something good for yourself in 2015 and sign up for a free 10-day trial by visiting Lynda.com slash TWIP. And FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. To try FreshBooks for free, just go to freshbooks.com TWIP, and when you sign up, enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And Squarespace, start building your website today at squarespace.com. Just enter the offer code TWIP at checkout and get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. This is TWIP. Episode 417, The Sony Onslaught Continues. Without question, Sony has been one of the standout movers and shakers in the ongoing digital SLR saga, and the company continues to push the envelope in terms of creating standard-setting sensors. Now, last week, Sony introduced their new flagship full-frame mirrorless camera, the A7R II. The new A7R II features the world's first 42.4 megapixel back-illuminated full-frame CMOS sensor with light sensitivity expandable up to ISO 102,400. And the company claims autofocus speeds are now up to 40% faster than in the original A7R. Sorry, early adopters. And this is thanks to 399 focal plane phase detection AF points. I wonder why they didn't just make it an even 400. Anyway, it's a lot of progress in such a short time. Now, joining me after this quick break to discuss Sony's latest announcements and other photography news this week will be Mr. Martin Bailey from Martin Bailey Photography and the host of TWIP Weddings, Mr. Bruce Clark. This is an episode you won't want to miss, so stay tuned. It's Monday, June 15th, 2015, and this is TWIP. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online training platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, just visit lynda.com slash twip. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-W-I-P. Now, lynda.com is for problem solvers, creative people, or just people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics or build a website or even boost your Photoshop skills. Just go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. lynda.com offers a ton of courses on Lightroom, Photoshop, and the Adobe Creative Cloud, and many on just getting inspired or re-inspired about your photography. With a lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching, and you can stream thousands of video courses on demand and learn at your own schedule. And courses are structured so that you can watch them from start to finish or you can consume them in bite-sized pieces. You can even download tutorials and watch them on the go from your iOS or Android device. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or just want to learn something new, visit lynda.com slash twip and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash twip. All right, Martin and Bruce, guys, welcome to the show. Um, I want to dive right in to this first story uh, because, the, you know, the, the name of this show obviously is This Week in Photo and because of that, the main reason for This Week in Photo is we get to talk about the things that are significant that happened either this week or last week in photo. <laughs> so last week in photo, what happened was Sony, who's been like the big mover and shaker and I'd say the de facto standard for full frame mirrorless um, and low light performance and all kinds of things, they've been over the past year, 18 months or so, have been coming on like Godzilla and just crushing it in terms of kind of handing Nikon and Canon and other manufacturers their lunch in terms of their innovations and what they're pushing out there. Well, they pushed it forward again with the announcement of the A7R2 
and the two of their point-and-shoot cameras, the RX-10-2 and the RX-100-4. So let me read this from our friends over at Resource Magazine. So Sony has introduced their new flagship full-frame mirrorless cameras, the A7R, uh, the A7R2 interchangeable lens cameras features the, the world's first back-illuminated full-frame Exmor R CMOS sensor, which realizes high-resolution 42.4 megapixels, or effective megapixels. The ISO is expandable up to 10, what is it, 102,400? Is that right, Bruce? 102,500, 102, yeah. 102, I, I thought that was a typo. Nope. 102,000. 400, I, I can't even get my brain around that number, and high-speed autofocus response up to 40% faster than the original A7R thanks to 399 focal plane phase detection AF points. That's a lot. Basically what all that means is this: they push the A7 and A7R up a level further. And now these are some, I mean, the, the reasons for not, for the DSLR shooters that were sitting on the fence, like some people on the show, about not moving <laughs> to do mirrorless are kind of melting away. So, Martin, I want to start with you. I'm alluding to you as a person. You've been on Twip many times, and you said you you are you are seduced by the allure that is mirrorless and the the lightness of it, but the quality and and some and some other things are holding you back from moving over to say a Sony A7R. Tell me, when this came out, what did you think? Did you say, oh, okay, I'm ready? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, firstly, it wasn't so much the quality, the image quality, but the the weatherproofing and the, and the autofocus performance were the main things for me. And from this camera, I'd say they just went out of the window um, as issues. Uh, I I really, I I saw the announcement, uh, one of the, you know, I'm, I'm a... I work on the Arcanum teaching teaching over on on the Arcanum as you do as well, Frederick. Yeah. And we we had a conversation in my my cohort. One of the guys said, uh, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, maybe Martin will want one of these, thinking that no way that I would. But I actually, it was the first I'd seen of the specs. I took a look and I thought, okay, I think it's time. Um, yeah. Now, I what I'm going to do is probably I I'll get the the A7 um, R2 and I'll probably use it because I mean I'm still very much into Canon I've got all of my lenses I'm I've got the 5DS R coming in a few days yeah um, there's nothing there's no for a lot of my photography there is I'm not jumping ship or anything but you know the Sony really are pushing the envelope and and they've they're putting stuff in that camera. I mean, it's like the 5DS comes out. It's the it's the latest and greatest from Canon, yet it doesn't shoot 4K. Right. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that it doesn't do. And so, I'm I think I'm going to sit with uh, you know probably have my feet on both sides of the fence for a while, and um, and just you know I'll probably use it with a Metabones adapter. And uh, but this this is it. I mean, you know, the resolution is there. I'm I'm assuming that the image quality is going to be top notch. I can't imagine that the you know that Sony would release something that wasn't. We need to see more of that. But from what I've seen so far on the videos and and the various bits and bits and pieces of information that are out there, um, it looks like the one that's going to win me over. And yeah. so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It looks like it looks yeah definitely well said and one of the things you know I shoot one of the cameras I shoot with is a Panasonic GH4 and one of the one of the the pillars that Panasonic has stood on in terms of you know if if they were you know if Panasonic and Sony were competing which they are kind of but these are two completely different cameras but one of the pillars that Panasonic stands on is in body 4K recording which is what the G4 can do and now Sony comes out. Now, with this camera, which not only has a full-frame sensor, five-axis image stabilization that came off the a7 II, and it can shoot in, and record 4K and Super 35 in camera. So mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, there's, I mean, the war, I mean, you know, I'm sure Panasonic's not out of the game. This is just the latest blow, you know, and I'm sure they'll come back with the right hook or whatever. But <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, when you see this as a wedding shooter, and I think you're still you're you're I hate to use the word still, but you're shooting you're shooting the DSLR but form factor right now. When yeah. you see something like this, does this the, is this a no-brainer for you to move over to? Or are you gonna s stick with your DSLR? 
I mean, I'm definitely starting to seriously look at uh, mirrorless and seeing what direction that I want to go. And I've been a little bit like Martin. I've been a bit on the fence, um, kind of straddling that fence, wondering which direction do I want to go and seeing what comes along. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's some intriguing things about this new Sony camera. Um, you know, obviously on Twip Weddings, we've got Robert Evans. Um, you know, he just, he's a Sony artisan, so he's, you know, I'm getting a lot of information from him um, about, not specifically about this camera, but just in Sony in general. Uh, and we just recently had uh, Gary Fong on the show uh, this last week as well, and he's really big into the Sony um, and really excited about what they're doing. He's not on Sony's payroll. He's not endorsed by them or sponsored by them, but he's just really impressed with what Sony's been cranking out the last, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah. So this, when I saw this one, the announcement of this, I, I was pretty intrigued. I think one of the things that's, that's key to me um, is just that fast autofocus and being able to do it in low, really low light situations. You know, a lot of times we're stuck in really crappy light situations in dimly lit churches or receptions. And and so for me, that ability to focus, I find even the Canons are struggling in some, you know, some ways to keep up, um, you know, in those situations. So I'm curious. I had a chance to play with the some of the Sony cameras at WPPI. I stopped by and visited the Sony booth when I was there. Um, I really like that silent shutter. Um, mm -hmm. Mike Cologne was demonstrating it with, with Robert at the Sony booth. And that is a wedding shooter when you want to not draw any attention to yourself, you know, during those, you know, those moments, you know, where things are, everything's quiet. And if, if your pin drops, everybody turns around, mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, if you, you don't want to break wind during <laughs> during the ceremony or everybody <laughs> looks at you, <laughs> right? So you want to make sure that you're running quiet and this thing's like dead silent. You can't even hear that thing like like shooting, right? So it's, yeah. it's so those are some things that are pretty impressive. And now this, you know, with the autofocus, the ISO sensitivity in these things and just that form factor, it's just smaller, lighter, you know, I'm getting older as you can tell by the all the silver hair in my head. So <laughs> lugging yeah, around all that weight. Yeah. So, and it just seems like, I don't know, I had a chance, I swung by the Canon booth when I was at WPPI, and there was this, I don't know if it was just the person that I happened to talk to, or just kind of the feeling I got from everybody at the booth, was it was kind of a bit of, a bit of arrogance, and a bit of entitled, like they had the 5DSR and things, and they were like, yeah, I guess we'll let you look at our camera, kind of was the feeling that I got, yeah. and I went to the Sony booth, and the guys there were so engaged, and they were so happy to talk to you, and share stuff, and it just seemed to be a whole different energy and I don't know if that's sort of like a microcosm of the... Of I don't the, think so because I've, I've heard that from other people uh, uh, about both Nikon and Canon to be honest with you but not so much about you know hey Sony is approachable and these guys aren't but it seems like you know the Fuji people the... the it, it, everybody else seems to be like okay you know we're, we're in this with you and you know the larger guys seem to be I don't know if it's hubris or ignorance or I don't know you know it's just it's something that they I don't know I mean Mark what do you think it is because I know you probably felt it too what what do you think it is well I I think it's uh, it certainly is you know you get the sense that they feel as though they're the top of they're on the top of the mountain and they're they're watching the others the other guys um, trying to climb it mm -hmm. but you know the the reality is is that the other guys are are fit and agile and they're climbing like real climbers and the guys on the top are just sitting there getting fat and mm -hmm. and you know watching the money roll in but it's not going to roll in if they don't get their fingers out as we say in the UK right, um, right. you know and and so it's it's uh, it's one of those things that they you know they they really do need to realize that it's you know the cheese is moving. There's all sorts of analogs, uh, uh, not analogs, but analogies, and yeah. analogies that we can that we can come up with. But you know they they they're going to find the um you know the the market is slipping. I'm sure they already noticed. You know they've got to have noticed. Yeah. But the market is probably slipping from under them. And yeah. I'm I'm sure that I mean there are people like me that still spend ridiculous amounts of money on Canon gear, and and there's you know the same with Nikon. So that. People are still buying the gear. There's still a market, mm -hmm. but the their slice of the pie has got to be becoming much thinner um, each each year as Sony and Panasonic and the other the other guys climb that mountain. Um, and and I can honestly see a time when there's I mean Sony for me seem as though they're they're almost on they're on the last stretch. They're they're like you know market share. I haven't I haven't researched. I don't know what kind of share they have. But it seems like everyone that I talk to at the moment ha is is ditching their DSLR gear and going for the going for a mirrorless Sony, Panasonic. Um, you know that everyone everyone literally seems to be seems to be moving. Um, yeah. The only people that are still in 
the the big DSLR market are pe are people like me that shoot wildlife or sports and people that really need the long lenses, quality long lenses with faster autofocus and the weatherproofing. But the, even that's being changed. You know, I mean, it, I'm I'm currently I'm actually probably in two days time going to be selling my 1DX, which is my which is my last um, weatherproofed Canon camera. Yeah. And the reason for that is just that you know that. The 5D is coming out. The 7D is is my wildlife camera now. It's a quarter of the price of the 1DX. It's slightly slower, and the autofocus isn't quite as snappy, but it's it's good enough. And so, and the weatherproofing is kind of there. So I'm I'm probably going to be selling my flagship Canon camera in a couple of days, um, and it's being replaced, of course. You know, Canon is still getting money from me because I'm getting the 5DS, and that is going to be my new camera. What's going to happen, though, mentally is I'm going to think, okay, so I can shoot 18 megapixels or I can shoot 50 megapixels. And I know that when I'm standing there on a boat watching, like, two-and-a-half-meter wingspan eagles flying around, mm -hmm. I'm going to want a 50-megapixel photo of them and not an 18 or a, or a 20 with a 7D. So I'm, I'm thinking that things are gradually slipping away even for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I'm thinking, okay, if the, if the Sony really does have as good an AF as they say, then that's going to be my second or even like leapfrogging for first body um you know because the resolution's there the af's there it gives me 4k video there's so much going for it that it it really is the ground for me even as, and i you know you know that i've been with canon for years and years yeah the ground for me even is slipping under at least one leg um and the other one is probably going to be firmly there with with the the new gear um, you know, i am i am very happy with my gear um, you know the new 11 to 24 from Canon is amazing. They're they're doing some good stuff, but they're not really breaking any new ground. Yeah, yeah. I, I fear that 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 uh, I'm hoping this is not a Kodak situation, right? Where mm -hmm. you have a company that just sort of, you know, doesn't doesn't pay attention to the iceberg that's in front of it and just plows mm -hmm. plows right into it and taking the, the the customers down with it. But one of one of the the complaints that I hear. Or the negatives that I hear about this this moving to Sony and what's holding a lot of people like yourself back, Martin, and and people that shoot sports and birds and that sort of thing is just the the lack of lens catalog for these mm. guys. So I wonder, and I'm just you know hypothetically speaking, I wonder if what's keeping Canon and Nikon kind of fat and happy right now are is that fact that Sony hasn't released or other companies haven't released. Uh, a, a catalog of lenses to compete with the mountain of lenses they have, A, and then B, on the other hand, uh, or maybe on the same hand, that they're betting on these working pros that just don't have time to figure all this stuff out. And like, you know what, I've been shooting Canon since 1980, and I've got the lenses that I use, they work just fine, I'm making money with it, why should I switch over? And then when Canon releases new bodies, they're like, yeah, I have this, this cache of lenses I know how to use. They added a new feature. I'm going to go upgrade to that body. So it's almost like a subscription program. Mm -hmm. I wonder between those things, the, those two things, the lack of lenses and the kind of stickiness of your existing consumers, is that's what, that, that revenue stream is what keeping these guys afloat. Bruce, what do you think? Mm -hmm. I mean, could that be it or am I off base? No, I think it definitely keeps the sticky factor for sure on the lenses is a big thing, you know, for me. Yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got probably $30,000 invested in glass. Mm -hmm. So for me to suddenly switch to another system, that's, you know, that's quite a jump. There are there are more lens there are more lenses coming out all the time from Sony and, and Zeiss and some great lenses that they're making, some great glass. Um, so I don't think that the, the gap is as wide as it used to be. I think that that gap, you know, is, is shrinking um, and the quality is there. But yeah, you, once you've got that investment in all that glass, it's, you know, it, it's a fairly significant financial investment to sort of switch systems. And then there is a bit of that learning curve as well. Like I know for me, if I was going to switch systems, now wouldn't be the time. I'm in the thick of wedding season. I don't want to have to learn a new system, pick something new up. So, yeah. definitely wouldn't you know wouldn't switch now. But that being said, you know I'm definitely keeping a close, a very close eye on it, and I'm really keen to try this this new one out when it you know it hits the shelves. It's, it's not it's not inexpensive either though. It's it's going to retail in Canada here for about four thousand. Wow. Um, yeah. I think the U.S. price is about thirty two. 
-hmm. somewhere in there. So it's not an you know it's not an inexpensive camera by any means. And then once you start buying some glass, it's you know it's a significant investment. So something to think about. But yeah. I'll get about that for my one DX. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like buying a car. <laughs> you know, there, there was there was a funny comment. It wasn't posted in humor, but it, there was a funny comment when on the on one of the sites about the the A seven R two. And it was some guy said that Canon just became the world's um, the world's largest third third party lens manufacturer, mm. and and basically what he's saying is is you know because I mean for me I I can't business wise I really can't um, warrant going in and, and buying a whole bunch of new lenses I've, right. I've like Bruce says I've got a, a ridiculous amount of money's worth of Canon glass and it's it's going to have to stay there so for me. Right now, I might end up buying something smaller, more compact, but um, you know, a little bit lighter for walk-around use for the Sony. But my lens range is going to basically remain uh, because I still need those lenses. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll be just using a Metabones adapter or something and sticking the Sony on it um, at least as a second, or you know, sometimes as a first camera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the other the other piece of it is. You know, so I, you know, we talked about people that have, have like you guys, you have a, a sizable investment in lenses, so it's it's sticky, it's hard for you to leave, and yeah, you could adapt them to these other bodies. But I think the other piece that the larger or you know the Nikon's and the Canons of the world may not be taking into uh, account is that I mean, I'm sure they know about this, but you know, you guys know photography is the fastest, is one of the fastest growing hobbies anywhere right now so there's more there's an influx of, of new people that are interested in photography and not just your iPhone shooters and there's people that really want to dive into this thing with the with the idea that maybe one day they'll go pro and those people when they look at what's available to them to use as gear do they look towards the DSLRs is that the de facto or do they look over on the mirrorless side with the with the Sony's you know and say okay that's where the future clearly is going. I'm going to invest in the future, not in these guys that haven't really figured it out yet. So, you know, I don't know. So by process of attrition, the market share for the Nikons and the Canons will slowly diminish diminish over time as more and more people influx in. So I don't know. Well, it's scary. Yeah, there was an, I read an article. I think it was on DP Review, and they were talking. There was some uh, some statistics came out, and I think the the latest uh, numbers came out, and it said that overall uh, mirrorless camera revenue was was up about 16, 17 percent over the last year, mm -hmm. and DSLR uh, revenue was down 15 percent over the same same time period. And Sony was kind of leading in terms of the the mirrorless market. Um, in that respect. So yeah, I mean, it's it's there. It's been happening, I think, for a while. Like I think, you know, guys like like Martin and myself and and pros that are are invested in that much glass are more the. I don't think they're the norm. I think most people that are, that have picked up a, an an SLR may have one, maybe two lenses. So they're not as heavily invested. So I think for them to make the jump to another system isn't, you know, it's not that big of a, you know. Yeah. Of a the, the, the other leg on this table is just looking at Sony overall as a company. You know, so if you're, I mean, you guys, if we're talking investing initially thousands of dollars and then over time up to thirty, forty thousand dollars in lenses going forward, you want to invest in a company that's going to be around. It's a little bit shaky with Sony, right? So, or a lot shaky. They've been laying people off. They've been reorganizing. You know, I think what was it last year? Their stock was downgraded to a penny stock. You know, so mm -hmm. it's, you know, you look at it from that lens, you know, no pun intended, you look at it from that perspective and it becomes, okay, I could go with the Nikon and Canon, they've been around forever and they'll probably be around for at least another 10 or so years, even if they don't innovate. Sony, what's going to happen over there? Are they going to shut the company down? They're going to get acquired? You know, what what is the dynamic? And not that people need to think in those kind of macro terms, but still, it's something to consider, right? I mean, with Martin, when you look at stuff like that, do you consider the company's economics? Um, not really. I'm I I'm not too concerned about that. But what I, what I can see possibly happening with Sony is maybe them just taking the camera range, the camera line, mm -hmm. and just breaking it off. Digital um, imaging. Because, yeah. You know, I mean, I can almost I can almost see. You know, I don't know. I mean, as the what the stuff that you just quoted, I've I've not I don't look into that stuff so much. But if the rest of the company is in trouble, then there's what could, there's probably two one of two things that are probably going to be happening. One is that they're looking to the camera line to actually save the company, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but a smart company like Sony, you know, they they do make um, they they have cutbacks every so often. Um, they're probably going to cut away the 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 stuff that's that's holding them back and just leave it as the strong product lines. Right. Um, right. Or, or like I say, they'll they'll split it off to something totally separate. Um, yeah. But there, there's there's one thing that I did want to add about Canon, and and the same should probably go for Nikon. Is that yeah. although I I am sort of relatively nonplussed with their current performance, and you know I mean I, I say I've still got all of this glass. I, I I really am. I've never been happier being a Canon shooter because of what's happening at the moment. But it's so much less than what everyone else is doing. Specific, you know, namely Sony and and Panasonic and some of these companies. So. I did want to just add that my hope is that Canon do at some point turn it around and start and you know just add the things that people want. They know what people want. They've got enough people, enough people in the field feeding them back mm-hmm. um, information. It's like why why bring out a 7D with GPS built in and then bring out a 5D without it? It's like there's no point. It's I've still got to carry around a separate unit to to geotag my my images. Yeah, it's just it's not that big a deal to just put the stuff in that people want. Um, they're probably saving it for a 5D Mark IV or something like that. Just quit with the marketing games and give people what they want, and you'll without doubt they will get more people sticking with Canon. Um, and Nikon have got to be in the same boat. Um, stop playing marketing games. Throw everything you can. You've got at it because, as we said a few episodes ago, if you have poo, fling it now. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. If you got it, man, now is the time to fling it. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You look at this, this stuff. That, that, that is one of my pet peeves. You know, when these companies do that, and they're all guilty of it. From Panasonic to the Fuji's, Sony, everybody Apple. is guilty of hobbling products to drive other products. And I think one of the issues with that, that used to work fine. I think, uh, and they, I don't think they've gotten the memo that the consumers and photographers have wised up to it and they know that you can put that feature over here and it doesn't really cost you that much you know mm-hmm. to do that but you know for a company like you say Martin it's time to think, fling the poo I mean it's time to like if you're if you're gonna be in this battle to win just go in it I mean go in it full on this is this is like Game of Thrones battle time man come on <laughs> you no know spoilers. bring out the giants <laughs> you know we need the giants from Game of Thrones to come out and start swinging axes and stuff right Bruce yeah it's interesting I mean Sony used to be I mean when I looked around my house 10 years ago everything was Sony I had a Sony TV I had a Sony VCR for the kids that don't remember what that is it played tapes and movies um, you know I had Sony back in the day I had a Sony Walkman you know a Sony Discman you know Sony was kind of the cachet brand right everybody everything electronic was, everything. was Sony yeah. they owned it all and then it seemed like almost overnight that went away Mm-hmm. And Sony was suddenly you're like, where is Sony? What are they doing? Other than the play, maybe the PlayStation was the only thing that I think they had going for them. Right, and then right. you know, kind of Microsoft came along and started to eat their lunch. I don't know if you guys watched any of this kind of a rabbit hole, but some of the E3 um, announcements. Oh, I haven't watched any of that today. yet. And the coolest thing they showed off was the Microsoft doing this virtual reality um, glasses, and they had Minecraft, and the guy was playing it on a table, but it was virtual reality with this <laughs> Oculus headset. It was uh, really really cool. That's so but, cool. You know, see, but you you kind of wonder though, like you know, where did Sony go? And the, but they seem to be doing really well on the on the uh, you know on the photography side with their products. So yeah, you you question kind of what's their long term longevity? Uh, who knows, right? But, you hit it right on the head. I mean, remember? I mean, I remember when if you considered buying another t- a television that wasn't a Sony, I was like, really? You're gonna buy mm-hmm. you're gonna buy something that's not Sony. <laughs> yeah. Do they it even make that? TVs anymore? <laughs> I know. Yeah, they, you know, they, I you think know they spun that off. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't know. No, I, I actually I bought I swore that I would not buy another Sony TV after my other one died, um, mm-hmm. like a week after the warranty expired. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually I bought a 4K Sony TV last year. Mm. Um, yeah, they they do still have very the the image quality on their TVs is still pretty impressive. I know that's a that's um, a Sony playing behind me back there. You know, yeah, they, yeah. They they still know how to do this stuff. I think I I think making awesome products with a couple of asterisks, making awesome products is not Sony's main shortcoming. I think telling the world about them <laughs> and mm. marketing those products is is part of the issue. Because, mm. you know, they put these awesome things out. Like, you remember, you guys remember, what was it, last year they released that lens camera? 
right? Mm-hmm. The 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 lens camera that you attach to your smartphone, you take pictures. Where'd that go? Right? Yeah, they the did Q10 one thing or whatever. Yeah, it was. they yeah. did one. They, then they updated it, did another one, and then it just vanished. We don't hear anything else about it. Just gone, completely gone. So mm-hmm. those kinds of things make me like, okay, should I invest over there? Because I I got to tell you, I shoot Panasonic, but I I'm envious of those of those Sony folks with the low light and the full frame sensors and all that. I'm very envious mm-hmm. of that, but. You know, I still, the business side of my brain looks at them like, okay, are they going to be around for the next five years or so? And I'm going to keep my gear for longer than five years. And like you guys are saying, you know, like Bruce, you're saying, you know, maybe it's time for them to break off the digital imaging group from Sony proper. Yeah, that would that would probably make sense because from my standpoint, which is obviously an outsider standpoint, but I see Sony, I see their DI group firing on all cylinders, doing the right thing, uh, smart people in there that seem to know what they're doing, and even on the release and notifying the press of new stuff, they seem to be doing it correctly. Then you've also got Sony Pictures, you know, with the asterisk of their hacking, you know, incident. We'll leave that out of that. (laughs) Well, you got Sony Pictures, which is also doing well, right? I mean, you know, granted they make some bad movies, Robocop, but they are doing okay. And then you've got uh, Sony Music, which is, you know, they've got a whole portfolio of awesome artists, and you got Sony Entertainment with the games and all that. So they they have these giant money-making machines in there, and I, I have to wonder, is is it those entities that are working that is keeping the brand alive? And, you know, and maybe it's just time to, like Bruce said, split them up. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And they also had, their, their lock-in was always weird because they always wanted to use proprietary things that nobody else seemed to be using. Like, I remember, and I have it here. I have my first, very first Sony, for those who are watching, I, mean, I have my very first Sony little point-and-shoot camera. It's yeah. a DSC, I don't know, P50. It sounds like a droid from Star Wars. But in any <laughs> event, if anybody remembers these, the memory sticks that went in them. Oh, yeah, there little these, chewing gum. You know, the little chewing gum stick. They were Sony's, you know, memory stick pro or whatever that they had. And they always had to do something different. They were, you know, Sony was beta when everybody else was VHS, right? It seemed, so that was always a problem that plagued them, too. It was just, totally. you know. It was like when Napster. Remember when Napster came out? Not to go down too far of a rabbit hole, but Napster came out, and it was all about sharing MP3 files, and, you know, it, music wants to be free. And Sony comes on because they have Sony Music, and they wanted to protect their assets. They come up with the A-track format, <laughs> right? which didn't work with anything else except for Sony stuff, you know. And then they, to compound it, they had the memory stick. So you put A-tracks on the memory stick into their thing, and maybe you could pl- play music with their with a horrible UI, you know. And then the other guys come on. Well, yeah, we're just going to support MP3s, and now we have iPods and and everything else that we have today. So the football, I think, in a lot of ways, was they've had it like you like they had the football for television you know they had the football for with the walkman for portable music they had the and now they have the football for cameras i think they really do have they're running it to the goal line hopefully they'll make it but i wonder you know are they going to fall <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't think so but this this track record says that okay you know we know we know how to shoot ourselves in the foot so let's let's see what happens yeah. yeah. The other the other two things that uh, that Sony announced was the, like I mentioned at the beginning was the RX102 and the RX100. So hey, Bruce, you you wrote the show notes. Bring walk us down the bulleted list of what those cameras offer. Yeah. So these are sort of two updates to um, I guess what you're calling their you know their advanced compact cameras. And again, I don't follow the compact camera you know world too much. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess these are just updates to what would have been the RX10, I guess, and the RX100. I'm guessing three, um, and so basically these are uh, two new, two um, 20 megapixel um, sort of one inch stacked Exmor RS CMOS sensors, um, and they're native ISO 125 to 12,800. They'll shoot 4K um, in an XAVCS format. Um, they can do simultaneous 16.8 megapixel still photos, uh, uh, recording you know while you're recording. 4K video, mm-hmm. um, you can do HDMI input uh, or output, uh, Wi-Fi and near-field uh, NFC communications in them, and then there's an upgraded AF system to lock on moving subjects in as little as 0.09 seconds. Um, looks like the RX100 will cap 4K video recording at five minutes. I saw uh, that. I'm like, what? What is that? Yeah, so like, five minutes. <laughs> is this for shooting vines? I don't. I don't understand. Exactly. I, mean, I don't want to shoot a vine in 4K. Uh, you know, that's yeah. that's weird. 
Yeah, and then the other one, the RX10 2 will offer, uh, you can do 4K up to 30 minutes. Uh, mechanical shutter speeds up to 1 2,000th of a second. And, um, yeah, and that one's going for, the first one's going for about 1,000, and the second one's going for about 1,300 retail price on those guys. So, I don't know where those, I don't know, where do you see those fitting? Like, the advanced compacts, is there still... I you know I don't I I think those I think the numbers are the those days are numbered for those cameras because you know everyone is carrying around their cell phone and can do decent photos with those yeah exactly what what is that Mark what are you my, this is an iPhone Plus this is my advanced compact exactly no, it's with me all the time yeah um, yeah and and it, and my this is this is my advanced compact right here it's a six iPhone six and I take it pretty much everywhere I go with me and it and it works just fine so I don't know I mean. Maybe there's a space in the market for something between that's better than your cell phone, but you're not carrying around a full camera like these things. I don't know, because it's like these... I would have to guess that the market for these would be the people that are buying the A7 series cameras, and they want their dinner camera to take with them. You know, I'm not going to bring my A7. I'm going to bring my dinner camera with me, so it's kind of casual. It's a jacket instead of a coat, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, in all in all fairness, I mean, these there is a place for these cameras, but I think it's it's not necessarily the TWIP audience. In in that, you know, most most people are are using either a DSLR or the or the full you know a bigger camera. Yeah. Um, these these are still very capable cameras. So you know, in all fairness, I mean, I, I'm kind of joking when I hold up the phone, but I. For me personally, I I just stopped buying that line of cameras many years ago because I found I just wasn't using them. Um, mm -hmm. If I need a camera with me, then I'll it'll either be literally my phone out of my pocket, or if I do need a camera with me, I'll take I'll take a camera. Um, uh, you know, so but there are people that and and probably a lot of people still that will buy this range because there 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 are very capable cameras and not everyone needs the best that's available and you know so. It's there's a there's still an audience there, or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, user yeah, base. Sure. Yeah, I, I tend to, you know, thanks for checking me because I tend to gravitate towards <laughs> the TWIP audience, you know, and and the and, demographic and that's that I fine, did. This is TWIP. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I tend to live in my little bubble, so <laughs> I, I'm happy in my bubble. I like it. I like my bubble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna move on to story number two. Before we do that, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Squarespace. Now, you know what? Along with a bunch of other questions that I get daily, uh, one of them is, what camera should I buy? But the other big one is always, hey, Frederick, what's the best way to build a great-looking website? You know what? There's, there's tons of options out there, but we're all busy. And for people who don't have time to dive into becoming experts on servers, FTP, security, plugins e-commerce, how to make your site look great on mobile and the desktop, you know, I'd always and without fail recommend Squarespace. Now, what's so good about Squarespace? Well, their, their sites always look professionally designed, no matter, regardless of your skill level, you don't need any coding or any of that stuff to get going and get a beautiful website up and going really quickly. The tools are intuitive and easy to use. And on the back end, they're running on state-of-the-art technology. And this, of course, powers your site to make sure that you're always secure and the site is always fast and stable. Plus, millions of people trust Squarespace. And some of the best and most respected brands in the world are running on Squarespace. And you can start your Squarespace account for just $8 a month. And you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. I mean, it's almost a no-brainer. So you can start your free trial today. You don't need a credit card. Just head over to squarespace.com. Then when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just make sure you use the offer code TWIP to get 10% off your first purchase. Remember, Squarespace, build it beautiful. All right, guys, let's jump into story number two. This one is interesting. Bruce, thank you for finding this one. This is scary. So It is. So, uh, let me read your second paragraph here. So, the International Air Transport Association, also known as the IATA, has an un unveiled a new size guideline this week for domestic U.S. flights that proposed a 21% size reduction in the max carry-on size allowed. Uh, so, yeah, and we'll put this in, Bruce will put this in the show notes, the, the verbiage from this, but... 
uh, that's a little scary for us, right? Because we, I think, to to draw a circle around the issue for us photographers and image shooters, and I would I would argue lots of other people that need to carry gear with you with them. The scariest thing in the world. We just talked about having thousands and thousands of dollars worth of lenses, and you go on a workshop like Martin does all the time. You're not going to check that stuff into the into the the baggage claim and let people you know throw it around or steal it or whatever. So we're we're left with carrying things with us on our person that will fit in carry on and putting above you know and using those using that to keep our stuff safe. If this happens, twenty it means you can take twenty one percent less stuff with you. So so Martin, when you see stuff like this, I mean this is you know. Uh, it's very scary. When you see this, what does this say to you? I mean, what, what, how does this affect your business? Um, I mean, it's it could be huge. There's when I I'm going to Namibia in a couple of months, and one of the lenses that I that I will be carrying is larger than the longest, um, you know, the the length, the height of this bag. Yeah. And so, I uh, you know this the, the new regulations. So you know they're. I think that you know, with mirrorless and enabling some people to downsize all of their gear, it won't be an issue for for people as much as it was four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. But I think that still, if you if you need to be carrying a large amount of gear, this is gonna you know it's gonna throw a a spanner in the works or a wrench yeah, in the works. And, and you're gonna have to figure it out. I remember years ago, Alex Lindsay shared one of his tips, and I don't know how valid this. I've never done this, but uh, <laughs> the, the he shares. Yeah, you know what I'm gonna say. He shared the, the tip. No, no, it no? was different. He shared the tip of uh, legally registering a firearm and checking oh, yeah. that into your bag so that it gets that special. They have the obviously handle, you know, luggage that has firearms in it as extremely hazardous and dangerous. So it gets special handling and it will absolutely make it to its destination. So his suggestion was get yourself a little starter pistol or something and. Make sure it's 100% legal, and get all your paperwork in order, and put that in your carry-on, and and your stuff will make it there safely. <laughs> so I don't know if it's worth doing all that because I don't know firearms in airports for me just don't really mix that well. Mm-hmm. But but still, I mean, it, when it comes down to either you're gonna you're gonna lose this fifty sixty thousand dollar job that you were going to shoot, I don't know. Seems, seems plausible. Bruce, what do you think? Is that would you do that if you were traveling? Oh boy, yeah. I mean, um, it's tough if I have a destination wedding to shoot or something like that. Obviously, you know, I'm not. There's no way that I'm going to check my stuff into the belly of the beast. Right. You know, I've seen, you know, I've seen baggage handlers and them tossing bags from ridiculous heights and you know everything else, and, and not to mention just stuff getting stolen. I want to make sure I'm going to get to the other side with the gear that I need to do the job. Um, so yeah, I don't want to take any risks with it at all. I know here in Canada, um, they've, uh, they started charging a lot now for, um, your, your bags, your baggage. So you're sure. paying now for, you know, you don't, even, you don't even get a checked bag. Now you have to pay for every bag, um, which is great for the airlines like Air Canada and WestJet. But now what's happened now is everybody's trying to bring so much stuff with them on the, you know, in their carry-ons that now what they're going to start doing is they're going to really start cracking down on the carry-ons. So they're going to start measuring and weighing them at the ticket desk, at security checkpoint, and again at the before you board the plane. And if, wow. if you strike out at any one of those, your bag's got to get checked. So you know now I'm just like paranoid to want to fly with with my gear because I just do not want to take the chance of it getting checked and getting damaged or stolen or who knows what will end up with it. So this is another reason why kind of circling back to the Sony story. That mirrorless, smaller body, kind of becoming, you know, more Derek Story, more nimble photographer, uh, is becoming more appealing. Um, yeah. From, from that standpoint, Bruce, I know you you did a wedding. What was it last year or a year? Um. Ooh, did we lose Frederick? <laughs> Frederick's gone. <laughs> <laughs> we lost Frederick. Oh, this is still recording. Yeah, I think so. Well, we can carry on with. It. I think I think what he was yeah. Frederick was going to ask me is about a trip that I made to uh, to India to shoot yeah. a wedding, and um, yeah, that was I had to take a lot of gear, you know, to cover the the wedding in India. So I kind of could only carry so much. So I put what I could in the suitcase, like light stands and a few things that were I considered non-critical. So if they didn't make it to the other end, I'd 
could still do the job. I'd still have my camera. I'd still have my lenses. But you know, those things hopefully would make it, and they did, and everything was was fine. But that was even a couple of years ago. So mm-hmm. you know, I know they're really cracking down. I don't, what's it like in Japan these days, Martin? As far as the airlines, are they charging for bags and and things? No, they're not charging yet. They, um, you know, we with my Japan-based workshop tours and workshops, we we basically we have the uh, one bag allowance, check bag allowance that is, uh, you know, it's relatively. I think it's like twenty kilos. It's it's not as much as an international flight, uh, but you know, because we travel from Tokyo up to Hokkaido on the on the a domestic flight. Um, it but if you go over, it's like three dollars a kilo, and so people mm-hmm. are are pretty much fine for that. You know, even if they take a second bag, it's only gonna something going to cost them 50 or 60 dollars which is as much as you would normally pay i mean you were saying a lot of airlines in the us and it sounds like canada now as well that you don't even get a bag you have to pay for each bag anyway and it's it's not even as much as that so it's not a big deal for us um, and the overhead the the stipulation is is something like 8k 8 kilograms um, and my bag has never been much less than 15 kilograms um, so i i just I, I carry it lightly as I as I go through. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I have when traveling internationally, I have actually um this is what I thought Frederick was gonna say a moment ago. When traveling internationally, I've with a with a bag that was fifteen K or so, I've literally taken out lenses and bodies, put them into my clothing and had them weigh the bag at eight K and then they'll say, But yeah, but you've still got all the stuff with you. I said, Well, is there a stipulate you know, is there a regulation that I cannot have you know, my my clothing has to be under a certain amount of weight. Yeah. And they say no, and I say, well, then let's just get on with this, and I, and I walk on. Um, and so you know, you can get around it, but I think that they what they're doing is is they're they're generally taking the ground from under our feet. You know, I mean, we think that photographers are the center of the universe, and so you know, we because because we are. Um, but, <laughs> I was going to say uh, that. We so, are. So, so, I mean, it's easy for us to think of, of only only the photography community. Um, but we we really are having the ground taken from under our feet when it comes to international travel in that there's a lot of regulations coming in. If this one comes in, you know, we're going to end up having to, you know, we'll buy new bags. I actually I actually bought, uh, uh, put on my Gura Gear t-shirt right. today. So that, um, you know, because I... I know that the guys over at Gura Gear are gonna they'll just bring out a bag that is within the new it'll have the logo that they're talking about. Um yeah. and we'll 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 have to down downscale to actually get on these flights and we'll manage it. But I think that it's you know and, and to me, to in all fairness, I mean when you think about it, we do sometimes tend to carry a little bit too much gear. Of course. Um, yeah. And so I don't know, it all it all comes we're having the ground scooped out from under our feet, but at the end of the day, I think we'll stand back on the new ground and we'll we'll do what we need to do to continue yeah. to travel. We'll be fine, it, you know. Crazy. But this this is another this is another kind of, you know, shaking of the shoulders of Nikon and Canon, right? Because it's like, mm. you know, the these these entities, these governmental entities, are telling us that we need to think smarter and lighter and smaller, you know. Mm. So it's it's time to start moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, sir. We're going to move on. Uh, we're running out of time here, plus my internet connection seems to be unstable. Um, let's move on. Before we do that, we, I want to talk, let's dive into our listener Q&A since we're running out of time. Bruce, we'll save story three for a different show. Sure. Um, yeah, so listener Q&A, we'll do that right after this break. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain and thankfully freshbook offers 
us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds, and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble. So grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP, enter the code This Week in Photo or TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to, uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, guys, this is the listener Q&A segment. This week's question is from Leslie. Leslie says, when I'm taking pictures in low-light situations, the preview on the camera looks significantly lighter than the actual photograph once I see it on the computer. I shoot in RAW, so it's, uh, it's generally able to be saved. It's more of an irritant when I'm expecting a certain level of light to be working, and I get it on my computer, and it totally isn't. Any suggestions? Uh, now, what, what could be causing this, and how can she remedy this? What do you think, Bruce? You want to take this one? Yeah, no, sure. I mean, the first the two things that kind of came to mind when I when I looked at this, and it's probably what she's referring to. I think what she's meaning is it's the brightness level on her actual LCD that she's looking on the back of her camera. So mm -hmm. I think she's looking at that and and seeing you know what she thinks is a bright image and maybe it's underexposed. Um, so my first suggestion to her would be don't don't go by your you know the brightness of your LCD. Um, for one thing, you can you can adjust that and turn it down. So it might be maybe she has it set you know cranked really high, or maybe it's on auto, um, where it's responding to the ambient light that's around her and, and that's determining the brightness. Um, mm -hmm. The second thing su suggestion would be you know look at the look at the histogram, kind of mm -hmm. pay attention to the histogram. Um, and in a lot of cameras, you can usually turn on uh, usually it's called the highlight warning, um, and it's or some people call it the blinkies, where it'll actually show you on the image itself if you've blown out or lost you know any highlights. Um, so those would be a couple things to check on her camera and turn you know turn those on if she's having the issue and watch for any of the blinkies and make sure nothing important is getting blown out in the image. Yeah, perfect, perfect. I couldn't have said any better. Martin, you have anything to add to that? No, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, you know the. To, for me, histogram is king. You know, the, you, what's happening, the reason for, for it is, is partly because, as Bruce said, you know, you, the camera sometimes doesn't automatically adjust. But mm -hmm. I find that even with my cameras that do automatically adjust, on their lowest setting, if you really are in a dark environment, the lowest setting still looks very bright um, because our eyes adjust to the, over, to the ambient light. You know, you, we see better in the dark. It just, it's, just, it's just physics. Yeah. Uh, or biology, <laughs> one of the two. Um, so, yeah, so, so I mean, it's, we will see, of, even if it's very, very dark, we will see the, the image very bright on the LCD. And the only thing to do is, like, like Bruce says, is to, is to go by the histogram. Um, you know, how you normally, I, I always expose to the right, so I would still be trying to get all of the data up close to the right shoulder of the histogram, even in very dark conditions. Um, but, yeah, the histogram is king. We we on, on my workshops we end up we say that more than anything. In fact, we end up with running jokes about you know people don't shoot a, a beautiful image they sh they shoot a really nice histogram. It's like, <laughs> of course that's not what we want. That's not what we're aiming for. But it, it sometimes you know we we talk about the histogram so much it's like people are saying oh look at that histogram. Martin, Martin I gotta say that's probably the geekiest thing I've heard all year. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an idea for a T-shirt. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Only only the insiders would understand. That's a really nice histogram you got there. Yeah, I don't know, Martin. So when you're shooting, when you when you expose for the histogram, or use you're using a histogram, are you looking at it after you take the shot, or are you looking at a live preview of it? How does it work on your camera? It depends. Yeah, I mean, normally if I'm shooting a landscape, you know, say I'm 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 out, I'm using a tripod, and then I'll quite often be in live view. 
and when I'm in live view, I'll flick around between between the modes. I hit the info button on the ca on the Canon cameras, and then mm -hmm. one of them will give me a live inst uh, histogram. I almost said a live Instagram, a live histogram right there embedded on in the the view of the scene. And so I I use the live histogram quite a lot. If I'm running and gunning with you know I'm I'm doing wildlife where I'm I'm actually viewing through the uh, through the viewfinder then yeah I'll, I'll set it up I normally because I shoot in manual I normally set it up and do a test shot and test and check the histogram before I actually start shooting and then I just you know once I've got it all set up as long as the light doesn't change I, f I can forget about the exposure for a while there uh, so it, it's both I do both love it Cool. One thing Leslie didn't mention was what kind of camera she was shooting with. So I was assuming, I'm assuming she's going off of an LCD preview. It might, she could also be using a, a mirrorless. Right, and, which can do live. That, right. Yeah, which is giving you kind of that live, you know, view and that live feedback. So again, I haven't worked a lot with them, but I, I had a Fuji X100, and I know you could adjust the kind of the level, you know, right. the, the brightness level through that viewfinder. So it could right. be that. Most, of, most of them do allow enable you to embed. A histogram or overlay a histogram in the in the viewfinder as well. Mm -hmm. um, so still, I, I would say, although that does get in the way a little bit, um, the I, I think the advice should stay in that you know the, in really low conditions, just go by your histogram. And, yeah, mm -hmm. You want to make sure that your data is at least in the middle, um, and if not, ideally a little bit closer to the right side. So the uh, the takeaway for Leslie uh, for this week's Q and A. Um, or listener question is to learn, understand, and embrace the histogram, right? And and you, yeah, exactly with quotes, and use that and uh, yeah, because the histograms rarely lie, whereas the uh, the data represented as the image on the back of the LCD could very well be lying to you. So cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Leslie, for that question. And uh, TWIP listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, just visit thisweekinphoto.com and click on that submit a question link. You can send us a question or you can leave us a voice message, whatever you prefer. All right, uh, before we end the show and get into our picks of the week, um, I want to give a nod to our final sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Panasonic Lumix Cameras and the new Lumix FZ1000 4K long zoom digital camera. Now this bridge camera is a powerhouse for shooting 4K hybrid photography. You know, hybrid is when you mix stills and video. And this camera shoots at 4K in 30p. You can then, once you shoot that footage, you can later extract 8 megapixel stills from the 4K footage. It's just crazy. And it features a large 1 inch 20.1 megapixel sensor. And it's got a bright Leica 25 to 400 f2.8 to 4.0 fixed lens. Let me say that again. That's a 25 millimeter to 400 millimeter at f2.8 to 4.0 lens. And it's a Leica lens, so it's super bright. Um, and it focuses fast with the Lumix depth through defocusing technology. So you get the long lens, long fast lens, and super fast focusing in this thing in one solid compact body. And if you add to all that the fact that this thing has a smartphone Wi-Fi app for remote control, if you got one kind of super package in one little package that you put in your bag, and you know this that that lens just blows me away at twenty five to four hundred. It's just uh, it's a long you know what they call a super zoom. Plus, it does all of that stuff in four K. That means you can shoot everything from portraits to photographing photographing lions in Africa from a safe distance and still get amazingly cool and sharp images, um, still images and video in 4K. Now you can learn all about this camera over on our All About the Gear show. Just enter FZ1000 in the search box on thisweekinphoto.com or you can head over to shop.panasonic.com or lumixlounge.com. Remember, Panasonic Lumix cameras where form meets function. And we'd like to thank Panasonic for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, gents, let's jump into the picks of the week. Remember, you guys can recommend anything to the TWIP army as long as it is somehow related to photography. Martin, I'm going to let you go first. What's your pick of the week? Okay, I'm going to go a little bit retro on you and, and Ooh, say... look at that! Um, I've got a... I, I've just recently, from a flea market, just over 100 Ooh. bucks, I picked up a a medium format Yashka twin lens reflex camera. Um, 
these these are like probably you know this was this was made either 40 or 50 years ago and I it, I don't know which one it is from the serial number I know it's either um, but it's basically a rip-off of the Rollies and and some of the the TLRs that were that were being made in Europe at the time and um, still beautiful though. but but it's it's great it works and I uh, what what I'm doing is I'm literally at the moment I'm on my podcast which uh, you know may end up in the in the twip the twip feed um, yes. before before many weeks is out anyway yep it um, will well, not may will will but just <laughs> it's just we're just getting a few last uh, details sorted out here yeah. um, but yeah the uh, at the moment over on my own um, blog and podcast I'm I'm doing what I'm calling the film fund series. And it's videos where I'm showing you how to feed the film into these things, and then feed that film into the Patterson reel for exp for developing. And then next week I'm releasing a video that is it's like a 35-minute video uh, where I actually take you through the process of of um, actually developing the film. Um, and it's it literally is it's the first film I've ever developed. So this is not me. Um, sharing my experiences from years and years of experience. It's me sharing my very first experience of. Oh, of, that's cool! I want to see that. My, yeah, my, my, I'm so. I uh, but it's all it all came from this. I was in a flea market. I I was looking for a camera. Just I wasn't expecting anything that worked. I thought, you know, I'm going to pick one up because they're just cool. I want one as an as an ornament, or maybe to um, just to to photograph. You know, just to make some photographs of the camera. Yeah. Um, but then I found a stall that this guy was selling them a little bit more expensive than the other stalls, but he said he assured me that it worked. You buy a film, stick it in, it'll work. And it does. So um, I'm having a lot of fun with this at the moment. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm sharing those. I, I was going to say the pick of the week itself is is really, you know, if you want to give this a try, go out, go to some store and just pick up something. You could probably get, this is a Yashka D. Um, you could probably get one for less than 100 bucks if you shop around. Um, but the other thing of, of, as well is if you if you're interested, go and check out those videos on on my on my uh, blog, and uh, and we'll get those into the Twip uh, the Twip network in, over the next few weeks as well. Love it. Perfect. That's a great pick. I've been seeing that more and more. I think Doug K was one of the first ones that I know of that started down the path of you know, the nostalgic path of getting back into film and more mm -hmm. considered photography and away from the spray and pray that is digital photography or that it can be. So, mm -hmm. very cool. Awesome. Thanks, Martin. That was a perfect pick. You're welcome. All right. Bruce Clark, what is your pick of the week? Well, my pick this week is uh, from uh, Mr. Corwin Hebert. Yes, a friend of the show. That name, friend of the show. He's the business uh, manager for David Duchemin of Craft and Vision. Um, and Corwin has a, a really great resource out for um, any, really any freelancer, kind of geared a bit towards photographers because that's who he's worked a lot with. But um, it's called the Business Action Planner. Um, and basically, what it is, it's it's a it's an it's presented as a couple of different formats. You can get it as a PDF or as an Evernote workbook. Um, so if you use Evernote um, for organizing notes and things, and it basically is a business planning tool. So it helps you put together a business plan for your business. So if you're a freelancer or a photographer, uh, maybe starting a business, or maybe you're in your business and don't really know where it's going, uh, he's got the business action planner. Really great resource. It's about uh, 50 bucks, and you get it as a download. And I'm actually going to be. So we haven't we haven't released it officially yet, but uh, Corwin's going to is starting to do workshops based around these. Oh, and cool. I've got him. I'm going to be bringing him to Edmonton in September. And so we're going to do a workshop around the business action planner. So very cool. I I have the business action planner, mm -hmm. and uh, I got the uh, the Evernote version of it because I, I'm an Evernote user, and. That was the first time I ever got a product that was developed using Evernote as the platform for deployment. I thought it was the, the most brilliant move ever. Because it's yeah. just, the architecture's already there. It's searchable. Everything's neatly organized into a workbook. It's all, it's it's very close to perfect. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would recommend anybody that's, that's thinking about starting a business, whether it's a photography business or, you know, a podcasting network. You know, <laughs> dive in and let Corbin help you figure out all the, the gore details that are involved in it. Yeah. So very cool. 
Um, but I am going to uh, I'm going to save my pick for next week because I, I need to test it before I uh, before I recommend it to the Twip Army. <laughs> All right, well, guys, before we sign off and before Comcast ends the show for us, Martin, where where can people go to uh, keep up with you and see what you're working on? And everything is linked from the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com. martinbaileyphotography.com. And soon a lot of that will be on thisweekinphoto.com. Absolutely. Very soon. All right, yeah. Martin, thanks for coming on. And Bruce, yeah. the host of TWIP Weddings, one of the hosts of TWIP Weddings, What's uh, where, where can people go to find you? Yeah, so well, if they want to, first if they want to listen to the show, they can head on over to thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. Um, we've got some great shows, episodes coming up. We've got Steve Rosen coming up to talk about same-sex, photographing same-sex weddings. Um, we're going to have Gary Fong on in a future episode to talk about archiving and backups. That's going to be a really good episode. So got some good stuff coming up in the pipeline. Um, yeah, and if you're looking for me, uh, most of my stuff you'll find is over at momentsindigital.com. Or I'm on most of the social networks as Bruce Clark with an E at the end of Clark. Everybody always forgets that E. So yeah, yeah. I should have just got all the Bruce Clarks without an E on it as well and just redirect them. I don't know. I probably would have done that. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Bruce, thanks for coming on. It's always yeah, a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, thanks. All right, folks, that brings us up to uh, the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. A huge thanks goes out to our sponsors for their support. And be sure to visit our website over at thisweekinphoto.com. You can go to thisweekinphoto.com slash subscribe to see a nice grid listing of all the shows that we have on the network. Turns out that that listing is growing. So the footprint of TWIP is getting bigger and bigger. All right, guys. With that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.